Because when I walk in, I'm either attracting people to me or I'm repelling people away from me. Yep. When I leave that meeting or that conference or convention or that event, I'm either memorable or forgettable. So how do I work on myself from the inside out to develop these skill sets and these strategies and these systems to get the results? Welcome to the Have It All podcast. I'm Elon Ferdman, and along with my brother Guy, we're Satori Prime. We've spent the last 16 years on a quest of mastery, and not just in business, all areas. Mastery of our finances, our bodies, our relationships, and most importantly, our minds. You see, while most people fantasize about their dream life, we went out and created it. And you bet we learned a few things along the way. So if you want to gain new skills and tools that will help you achieve the life of your dreams, well, you've come to the right place. So get ready to have your mind expanded. Implement what you learn here today, and you'll start living the life of your dreams instead of just, well, dreaming about it. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. Well, my fellow Satorians, it has come to our attention that many of you are not yet aware of some massive news in the Satori Prime world. So let me let you in on a not so little secret right now. So Guy and I have recently created an app that you can now download on your iPhone or your Android device just by searching for Satori Prime in either iTunes or the Google Play Store. Or if you want, you can even download it directly to your desktop by going to app satoriprime.com and the reviews are in and they are lively things like life-changing i love the gamification i share this with everyone in my life and my favorite how is this free so if you want to join your fellow satorians in our very own exclusive community then like i said head either to your itunes or google play store and search for satori prime or simply go to app.satoriprime.com and install it on your desktop. So as soon as you join, what we're going to do is we're going to give you access not only to our amazing community, we're also going to give you access to a completely free 10-part transformational mini-series that we've never released anywhere else. And this is where you can begin to uncover all of these limiting beliefs and start upgrading them. Things like money, overwhelm, procrastination, You'll get to see how you can create accountability in your life like never before, and you'll get to experience life in a whole new way. So if you haven't done so already, come join our Satorian family today. Make sure to go download that app. And now it's time for the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome, welcome back to the Have It All podcast. And today, I'm actually really excited because the person that we brought on, I think you've probably not heard on many other podcasts. And he's been in the background doing amazing work. In fact, he's transformed the lives of over over a million people, and he's been doing it behind the scenes. So with that, first, I want to just welcome Darren Jacklin to the show. Grateful to be here. Thanks for allowing me to be here today. Yeah, man. It's amazing. So um, Darren and I actually met through a friend who I was at a mastermind with, and she was like, okay, you two need to meet. And ever since then, uh, we've been jamming. And I was like, can I, would you come be on the podcast with us? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So um, why don't you tell people a little bit about, you know, how you got about transforming the lives of a million people. And then I think we'll, we'll uh, ease into the conversation from there. Sure. I have a very unique and interesting backstory of my life. I grew up in uh, Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, less than 20,000 people in population, a small community. And I, you know, one high school, two junior high schools, and a couple of elementary schools, and grew up in a middle-income family. When I, when I went to uh, 
grade one, I actually failed grade one, was set back and was labeled and diagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. Hmm. And I was put into the modified special education classes and programs for the rest of my school years, from grade one right through grade 12 of public school. And I was labeled most likely not to ever succeed. I was a dumb kid in class. I was a C and D student in class. And so by the time I was seven years of age, you know, I had very low self-esteem, low self-worth, you know, was a class clown, made fun of in school. My outlet was outside of school was being in the community serving people. So I created my first little business when I was seven years old called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go out and cut grass. I would shovel sidewalks. I'd deliver newspapers in my area where I lived. And when I got into junior high school and high school, I realized that I was not gifted in school and academics, but I was able to go out and earn money because I always said, you know, who's got my money and where is it? What neighborhood? And it wasn't about the money. It was just giving me more options and more, more resources. So I would go cut, you know, dentists and doctors and lawyers lawns and shovel their sidewalks in the wintertime and rake their leaves and paint their fences and take care of their properties when they're away at their other homes. And I'd earn money and I would take that money and I'd buy like Mary Kay cosmetics for the girls at school and I'd buy different things to support the girls for vanity for looking good in school. And then after school, we'd arrange for them to do my homework. And so I would delegate or leverage that. Now in school, they call that cheating. In the business world, we call that teamwork, leveraging delegation or being more efficient, more effective. So I was breaking all these rules in school, but I was really preparing myself to become an entrepreneur later in life because I realized having a job, when I got into grade 11, I realized that, uh, you know, I was taking out a class one day by a guidance counselor and a school teacher and told that I was never amount to much, never go far. And I was one of these throwaway kids. So I did graduate from grade 12, just barely passed uh, grade 12 of public education, left there, went and got different jobs. I actually got fired for, for pumping gas. I was um, actually pumping gas one day, and this guy pulled up in a brand-new Mercedes-Benz. He was going golfing. He was wearing a nice golf shirt and golf shorts and golf shoes. I thought, wow, this guy's a great role model. I want to be like that. So I started interacting with him. It was a full-service gas bar. My boss said, you're not an employee. You know, you're fired. This is, you know, I was only there for a couple hours. And so I realized you know, early on that I was not an employee mindset person I was not a, because I was not a good leader, a good follower. I was a better leader. And so I left there, did multiple suicide attempts to end my life in my late teens, early 20s. And my last day, I drove my car 85 miles per hour, 140 kilometers an hour towards a telephone pole. And I kind of had a divine intervention. I realized at that moment, I didn't hit the pole, that I need to do something. So I drove my car into this um, uh, nonprofit organization that was a crisis line outreach program for people in the community that they hired trained counselors and psychologists to work there on staff. And I went and turned myself in, knocked on this door, and they, they brought me in, and they started to coach. I had no money, but they had to coach me, and they were, they were sponsored by the government through grant money, through the government grant money. And then the lady referred me to a Dale Carnegie training program. I didn't know what Dale Carnegie was or who Dale Carnegie was. I ended up going to this hotel one day, and, and that kind of a long story short, I ended up taking training through Dale Carnegie, making a finance payment program over a, a while, and from there led to Toastmasters in the early 1990s. And I had a lady one day, my name is Sue Urquhart, who was in my Toastmasters club one day. And I joined Toastmasters to actually work on my self-confidence and self-esteem because I had a lot of anxiety and stress issues and, and relating to people. And I was very insecure as a kid and I had a lot of negative self-talk. So I started doing this as a way to support myself. And a lady by the name of Sue Urquhart one day said, we believe that we could actually mentor you to become a world-class speaker wow. back in the 1990s. And so I thought, well, man, I can't sell myself. I can't market myself. So I went and got a job as a telemarketer for minimum wage dollars, and I was smiling down. We had to make 400 cold calls on a shift to meet our quota every day. 
And it was just a revolving door of people just coming in and out of that telemarketing office, that call center. And after seven months, I became number one telemarketer in Canada for that national magazine in the country. And I realized I couldn't earn any more. I couldn't win any more bonuses. I couldn't get any more awards and recognition. So I left. And in June of 1995, I created my first professional speaking corporate training business. And from 1995 to 2015, um, you know, I, I hustled. I grinded, you know, up and down a few times. I was flat broke one time. I was living on the streets, homeless on welfare. I lived in an apple orchard, lived in a tree house. And from there, today, I've trained over 157 Fortune 100 companies. I've trained and developed over 1 million people in 46 countries on four continents. That's just in live events, physically, you know, face-to-face with me. Hundreds of millions of people through media and some of that around the planet and things like this, like this podcast. But I'm very good with strategy, execution, and results. And it's just a skill set I have. Like some people are good at accounting, some people are good at engineering, some people are good at bookkeeping, some people are good at being a doctor or construction or plumber. I'm good with understanding people, processes, and, and programs and systems and companies and businesses, and I don't get people out of the way of themselves. And um, so today it's led me to an extraordinary life where um, you know we've, we're building a bunch of private islands right now in the Bahamas. We're just closing a deal right now for $1.8 billion US dollars on a capital raise. We have a school in Uganda, East Africa, and we do a lot of big things. And Tatiana Mercianis, my partner and I, we're actually building a $100 million net worth right now, which we're on track right now in the process of. And then on Wednesday, September the 1st of 2027, we're going to exit and go full-time philanthropy and give 99% of our financial wealth away through our portfolio for global philanthropy causes on the planet. So I'm 45 years of age now. So I'm, I'm the next 10 years, I'm laser focused with my 10-year master plan. And then at age 55, I'll exit, and I'm going to go full-time philanthropy, kind of like the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, and serve even vast more modules. So I'm kind of doing what Andrew Carnegie did in the book, you know, when he mentored Napoleon Hill to create Think Go Rich. The first half of his life, he cured a financial fortune, and the second half of life, he gave it all away. And really, I'm not driven by money. I'm driven by opportunities and to make a difference and also lead by example and serve vast amounts of people and make a contribution on the planet. Well, I have so many questions. Sure. First, when was uh, when you did the Rent a Kid? How old were you? Seven years old. <laughs> so good. And you obviously didn't come from a background where your no. parents were entrepreneurs or anything like that, right? No, not at all. My mom was a nurse, and my dad was an engineer. So clearly, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, let's say, was inside of you the entire time. Um, as you're going through this stuff, here's what I find to be fascinating. So you're obviously super successful at what you do. You've coached some of the best companies. Do you want to just name drop so people understand like the scope of sure. how amazing you, you've reached? I've worked with the Microsoft Corporation, Google, Apple, Black & Decker, you know, Mercedes-Benz. If you go to DarrenJacklin.com, we list all the corporate logos on DarrenJacklin.com. It will show you you know, all the different companies. And just to give you an example, a little quick backstory. What I used to do back in the early 1990s, early 2000s, I had very low self-confidence. And I, uh, in fact, my career has been been building because I was never good enough. So mm-hmm. I had something to prove in life. I wanted to prove to all the A students, all the school teachers, my parents, my relatives, everybody that laughed at me, made fun of me, everybody that criticized me, that I'll show you. And wow. so I, I, I had this, I, this drive, this hunger, this hustle, this grit, because I, I wanted to prove something. So for the first 10 years of my life, it was strictly driven by ego and arrogance, right? Wow. High levels of ego and arrogance because I wanted to prove something. I want to make everybody else wrong. So I used to go uh, behind Staples and Office Depot. I used to go in at night times into the recycling dumpsters. Yep. And I used to go and get like the Microsoft boxes that were being recycled. 
and I would take my scissors, my exact knife, and I used to cut out the Microsoft logo, or I'd go to different grocery stores and cut out the Coca-Cola, the Pepsi-Cola, the Kellogg's Corn Flakes. I used to, Rice Krispies, I used to cut out their logos, and I would take my glue stick and create vision boards on my walls. And what I used to do to build my self-confidence and my belief, because I, I figured I was stupid. I was a dumb person. Wow. And I had no mentors. See, like today we have the internet. I didn't have the internet when I started. I didn't have mentors and coaches and mastermind groups. I grew up in a small city, right, of 60,000 people. Once I left Swift Current, of 20,000, less than 20,000 people, to 60,000 people. And, and we didn't have any of that stuff. You know, we, and, I, and I wasn't smart enough to go find people in the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Clubs. So what I did was I used to sit down with my uh, a piece of paper and I'd write down 200 benefits of why I'm smart enough good enough and worthy enough and deserving enough. Here's a challenge. I would start at number one and start to go up to about 10 and then I would quit because it was too uncomfortable. So what I realized one day out of frustration and impatience, what if I start at number 200 and I start to count down from 200 down to number one? Because if I don't do it, then I'm incomplete. My mind is going to bug me. So I created this strategy because I'm very good at strategy. I thought if I just start at number 200 and count down, then I'll come up with 200 benefits and I won't quit. Wow. And get it done to the finish line. So I for so for every so if you go on DarrenJacket.com or you Google search me, you see the 157 Fortune 100 companies that I've trained. Every one of those companies, over 20 plus years to train them, I've written down 200 reasons why I'm smart enough, good enough, worthy enough, deserving enough for the economic exchange for them to hire me and train me to bring me into those companies. Wow. So when when I would eventually get the opportunity to go in and propose to them or meet them at a conference or convention that I had so much certainty and, and rather than doubt and insecurity and fear and lack and negative self-talk and mind that I was going to train that company because I built my belief system up by stacking benefits of 200 benefits. And it was not always easy, but I invite your listeners, if you want to build your belief system to write down 200 benefits of why you're smart enough, good enough, worthy and deserving enough, and you'd be amazed at how you'll close more deals and get more proposals because your belief system will increase in your self-worth and self-confidence because they're either going to close you or you're going to close them, but somebody's getting closed. So brilliant. I mean, it's, it's amazing just the level of the vision board thing and this methodology. And then there's one other story before we jump into like actually the kind of the training that you do and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because when I first met Darren, I'm in the coaching space. He's already coached a million people and he's coached kind of like the groups that you've heard and like these amazing companies, right? And in my head, I'm like, I couldn't figure out how someone goes from doing even what I do to getting to work with those kind of companies. And so I asked Darren on one of the calls and his answer was, the story was just mind blowing. I asked, you know, how did you eventually get in front of these people? So can you share that story with me? Sure. Well, I, 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 I was terrified. Yeah. Right? So I, I pull up, I, I drive to different cities and you know, sometimes I took the Greyhound bus. Sometimes I hitchhike because I had no money. A lot of times, you know, the first 10 years of my professional speaking career from 1995 to 2005, I wore the same suit every single day. Wow. I had no money. I couldn't afford it. And some days I was making $200 a day. I was getting paid from corporations to pay. You know, I get paid thousands of dollars now. But but I wore the same high school graduation that my parents bought me for graduation in 1991. The wow. first day of my life, I just changed my shirt and my tie because I was in front of a different audience every day. And I used to, I used to couldn't afford, like I, when I put on my own events and I was, you know, going to Kinko's and Office Depot and Staples to do all the photocopying, I had no money for my sleeping room. So what I used to do is I used to go to the front desk of the hotels at the Holiday Inns, the Ramada Hotels, 
right? The quality ends. And I would go there and build relationship and rapport with the man or woman at the front desk, get to meet somebody who worked in the banquets and catering department. They would show me the room the night before. And then they're off shift about nine or 10 o'clock at night once they set up the rooms for the next morning. What I do is I'd sneak into the room and I'd go hide in the closet where the flip charts were in the overhead projectors. And I would sleep in those rooms. So the next morning I could do the seminars because I had to. And that's how I did it. And, and some days I got caught, but the majority of times I never ever got caught. And to this day, there are people today that remember those days back in the 1990s and 2000s that were employee hotel staff that I, I, I was embarrassed. But to them, it inspired more. They, they believe, like, wow, this guy is committed. Like, this guy's got skin in the game. Like, this guy, you know, you know, he's doing whatever it takes to win. And I, I would do that. I slept on part. I remember um, in San Francisco in the Bay Area, for those of you who are in the Bay Area, you'll know Jack London Square. So if you go where the statue is at the Jack London Square in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's a park bench there. I used to sleep on that park bench and go into the hotel at Jack London Square in the Bay Area and do seminars at that hotel. And in the morning, I would go into the hotel and I would go into the restrooms, the public restrooms, and I would shave and I would use the paper towel. And sometimes I'd have a, back in the days, the airlines used to give you a blanket. I used to take the blanket and soak the blanket in the, in the, in the um, sink. And I used to and I'd take my shirt off and I used to bathe myself and then go into the change room, the, the stall where the toilet was, and I would put my high school graduation on and go out and do my seminar. And that's, that's what I would do in the early days of my life. And, and I, I was in Santa Barbara, California one day, and I, was, I went to Kinko's, and I, I, I maxed up my credit card, and I, I printed out 500 flyers. And I went around to this parking lot in San, Santa Barbara, California, the shopping center, and I, and I put all these flyers on all these car windshields. And I thought, wow, I'm going to do a two-day public seminar in Santa Barbara, California. And I thought, wow, you know, I spent $500 money I didn't have. I maxed out my credit card. And, I, you know, I'm coming from Canada. So it was in the United States. It was in U.S. dollars with the U.S. Canadian dollar exchange rate. And the next day I get a phone call from the shopping center security. And they said I violated trespassing laws because they had signs all over on all the uh, light, light, light standards. And they said if I don't come over within one hour and I go ahead and, and remove all the litter off of all the parking lots of all these people who took the flyers and put them on the ground, if I don't remove them, they're going to charge you with trespass and report me to the police. And they found that I was Canadian and report me to immigration. And, and, and I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I went over there. It was a hot day in Santa Barbara that day. And I removed all that stuff. The day I went to the seminar, I put everything on the credit card, maxed it out. I went to do the two-day training summer in Santa Barbara. Not one person showed up to the event for two days. And I had paid for tea and I had paid for coffee and I had paid to rent this hotel room for two days at this nicer hotel that I couldn't afford, but I wanted to level up. So for two days, I, 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 I sat myself and I thought, oh my gosh, not one person showed up for two days to this seminar. And I sat there and I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I paid for the room, money I don't have. I thought I was going to regain it back. So what I did is I said, I, you know what? I got to turn the crisis into an opportunity. So I can, I can beat up on myself right now and I can make myself even feel worse or the show's got to go on. So for two days, I showed up and delivered that training development seminar as if I had a room full of people. And I spoke to the room with empty chairs by myself for two days. Not one person showed up. Oh, and I took breaks. And, 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 and I even had the hotel staff come in, into the room during the breaks in the morning, the afternoon, to as if they're going to reset the water and change the room around. So I felt that the, that the event was still happening in my mind, that I had to rehearse it in my mind because otherwise I would have quit. And what I did when I first got started in the speaking world, I had no mentors, no coaches. I had nobody. Like today you got an internet and you know, you've got all these mastermind groups and professional coaches and all these workshops and services. I had none of that going when I got started. So what I used to do 
was when I would go in and pitch back in the days when I used to like sell versus today, I want to educate and inform. I don't want to pitch people. I educate and inform them today, but I used to play a song by ACDC called Thunderstruck. Yep. I'd in my car or in a rental car and I would go outside that corporation's headquarters or head offices and I used to sit in the parking lot, just shaking, sweating, right? Fear, doubt, worry, uncertainty, anxiety. So I'd start writing down the benefits of why I'm smart enough, good enough, worthy enough. And I would just crank the stereo of Thunderstruck by ACDC and start pounding the steering wheel. Thunder! Nah, 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 nah. And that would get me into a peak state, just like when you're in a, you know, you go to a professional sport event, like a hockey game or yep. a soccer game or a football game, when they come through the tunnel onto the field or onto the ice and the athletes are coming on there. You know, and then they have the lights and all that stuff before the game starts. I would psych myself up to do that so I could go in and get rejected because I knew there was a high chance of me getting rejected because when I started in this industry, you had to have an MBA or a PhD. I'm somebody who has no formal education, just street smarts and a hunger and a burning desire to win and for a number of years to prove myself to society because I was never ever good enough. And wow. that's what I did. And today, you know, trained to help over a million people in the height of my career. I was on the road on average of 276 days a calendar year. And so I'd be doing a training development somewhere, somewhere on the planet. At the end of that day, I would leave and go to the airport and I would um, you know, be in a taxi or be in a limousine or be in a rental car. And I would get to the airport and I'd look around and see who were decision makers in the lineups. Who could I meet that hopefully I could do my ne- build, build my next business deal, do my next contract, right? Who's got my money? Where is it? And not that I needed, not, not that I was motivated by money, I need money to survive to pay all my bills because all my operating expenses. Wow. Okay. And I would do that. And then eventually when I got higher levels of status in the airlines, I would get into the airport lounges and fly business class and first class and start meeting decision makers. And so I could do a whole training development on how do you meet influencers, how you meet decision makers, how you go to trade shows, conferences, seminars, and workshops, how you meet people. And then when I would get upgrades, complimentary upgrades, I would go to conferences and conventions. I would make sure that I was on the same floor with other presenters and other decision makers and other CEOs and executives. So I was in close proximity to these men and women. So I could bump into them in the hallway or into the hotel elevator or for breakfast the next morning. So I could meet them. So I would get some FaceTime with them to have a conversation with them. And, you know, there's times where I would actually, um, you know, I, I share a story one time where I was living in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, and it's in Western Canada here. And it's, it's, it's like the San Francisco Bay Area, or like Palm Springs. It's, called Kelowna, British Columbia. And I was there and I phoned up a friend of mine one day and I was going back and forth by fax machine with this gentleman who worked with a very large bank over in London, England, in the UK. And um, we're going back and forth by fax machine. And this guy said to me one day, he said, well, we'll take your proposal for corporate training into careful consideration. So I replied back on the fax. I said, how about I fly from Kelowna to London, England and meet with you in person? Now, you remember, I'm going from continent to continent right? 18 to 20 hours round trip of flying in the air. I didn't have the money. So I thought, okay, so I made a list. Who's got my money? Who, who can leverage? Who can OPM, other people's money? So I made a list of friends of mine that had a credit card that had some room on the credit card. And I phoned a buddy of mine. I said, listen, you know, I've always had your back. I've always been there for you. You always said, hey, Darren, if you ever need anything, give me a call. I've got your back. I said, I need you to have my back right now. I need to borrow your credit card. I need to put $1,900 on the credit card right now to take a last minute flight from Kelowna to Vancouver, Vancouver to London Heathrow Airport. He says, what? I said, I got a meeting with a guy for a 15 minute face-to-face in-person meeting at a Starbucks coffee shop in London, England. He goes, what? You're going to fly from Canada to London, England to meet with a guy for 15 minutes? He says, have you given a proposal? I said, no. He goes, what are you? I said, we're in the people business. 
It's all about personal relationships. I, I'm more about relational versus transactional, right? I'm not about transactional, I'm about relational. And I said, I'm going to fly over there. He goes, you're crazy, man. There's no guarantee. You have no signed contract. Are you crazy? You're, I said, listen, I will pay you back within 30 days so you don't get any interest payments on your credit cards. Trust me. I've got your back. You got my back. We're in this together. It's a brotherhood. Lend me the money. So he did it. We phoned the Air Canada. We booked the flight on Air Canada. I flew over there, got into a taxi cab in London Heathrow, went to the Starbucks. The guy didn't give me 22 minutes. Came back, flew back to Canada 24 hours later. For seven months, there was no follow-up. I would send him faxes, no reply. Okay? For seven months, we, he went dark on me. Seven months later, in the middle of the night, because the time zone difference, I get a fax one night, like 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, Pacific Standard Time Zone. And he says, after careful consideration and due diligence, we've decided to now approve of your proposal to have you come in and do corporate training for our company. I pay you $10,000 for the day, plus travel expense. I'm thinking, $10,000? Wow. You know what I mean? I was used to making $200 a day. Okay? And it completely shifted my mindset. But you see, they believe more in me than I believe. See, they saw more value. Because they saw that I paid for up front and put skin in the game, that I was willing to, and they don't know my financial circumstances behind the scenes. All they do is they just knew that I, I flew from Canada to London, England. They don't realize I phoned my buddy up and had to yeah. negotiate and converse with him to, to get 1900 bucks on the credit card and then make payment arrangements to pay him back and then fly from there financially broke. But I had a dream and a will to win and I had a skill set that I knew that I wanted to teach other people because I was hungry. And um, I did that. And that opened up other doors for me through referrals and relationships. This guy, I think he's passed away now from that bank. He was an older gentleman at the time. Um, but what it taught me was, you know, when people say, you know, I want to I succeed in business. See, most people, did, especially the millennial generation under the age of 30, they hide through social media today. Yeah. Right? Through Facebook ads and, and instant messaging and all that stuff. But what I do is I'm old school. I still go meet people face to face. There's many times I live in Vancouver, Canada now. There's many times where I get on a flight and I fly from Vancouver to Toronto, Canada, the other side of the country. It's like flying from Seattle, Washington to New York City, right? I fly there, go meet people at Toronto Pierce International Airport at the hotel at the airport, right? Or at a restaurant or lounge and meet them, have a meeting and then fly back the same day. Wow. Cross country. And people look and they go, wow, you're, you're flying. I've flown from Vancouver to San Francisco to LA many times, Chicago, New York. Just um, for that. Just for a day to have a face-to-face -face meeting with a decision maker, because I'm, I'm, it's all about building relationships. And the thing is, you see, I don't want to. I don't want to compete. I want to dominate the space. Hmm. How do I dominate the space? How do I become best? In, I was never best in class as a kid going to school. I never went to college, university. But in the school of life, how can I be best in class? How can I be at a world-class level that when I show up, people see that I'm serious? That, I, that I'm fully in, I'm skin in the game, I'm committed, I'm accountable, I'm responsible, I'm here to do whatever it takes to help you get the specific, measurable, and actual results. Like, I'm, I'm not going to back down. I'm, gonna, I'm, all, I'm all in. And I tell you, when, when, I'll give you an example. So many times, um, and I've done this over 300 times, um, what I would do is I'd go to the bank and I would get five $100, crisp $100 bills that were crisp, brand new bills, $100 bills. And I put them into an ATM envelope and I, would, and I would call up different corporations. I was cold calling. I was telemarketing out of the yellow pages of the phone books. And I would call up all these gatekeepers and decision makers from these phone books. And I would call you up and say, hi, my name is Darren Jackson. We've never met. And I said, listen, I want to meet with so-and-so for lunch. And I'm willing to pay $500 cash plus the meal 
to meet for 45 minutes. I'm willing to pay up front. So I'll bring the cash with you. I'll put the money on the table in the restaurant or wherever you want to meet. I want to meet off-site, right? So I can have a neutral environment and control the environment. And it didn't happen all the time, but the majority of the time, because I was gutsy enough, the secretary would say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll have you meet. And if they didn't, if they said no to me, what I would do is I'd find out who is the FedEx driver? Who is the DHL driver? Who is the UPS driver that's going there every day that's delivering these courier packages? And so when I do dinner parties today, I actually invite the courier drivers to my house for dinner <laughs> parties. Because guess what? Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, these courier drivers, they're meeting with the, they're meeting with the gatekeepers. And the decision makers are the ones that are receiving the packages. Make sense? Yes. So I would build relationships with the courier drivers, and then they would give me information saying, you need to go see Margaret. You need to go see Mary. And Mary, or they would talk, the courier drivers would talk to, and I used to give them free bottles. So when the FedEx driver would come to my house, I'd, give them, I'd go to Walmart and get a case of bottled water. I'd give them free bottles of water on hot days and make sure they're taken care of because these courier drivers are on a tight schedule. So I had my whole team of people, in a sense, working with me as a team, as a strategy to execute to get the results that I wanted to get. And so what happened was I would go back and finally, you know, and so all of a sudden I kept on getting rejected from following up these people. But what I would find out from the FedEx driver as an example, he'd say, you know what? I know you want to get to meet with Steven, who's the CEO or the owner of the company. He's not going to see you because they don't want solicitation. But just want to let you know, Darren, he's actually flying from Toronto to Chicago or from Vancouver to New York on this date because his assistant told me that. So what I would do is I would find out exactly what airline he's flying on. Is he flying economy, first class, business class on a commercial airline? I would then either make the money, borrow the money, find a way to generate the money, get the same airplane, same flight, and in close proximity, a lot of times it was business class or first class, and I would sit in that flight with them, and now I'm in close proximity with the decision maker, and now I've got a few hours to find a way to get rapport and how to win friends is influence people, as Dale Carnegie always taught me in that book, right? How to win friends influence people. How can I win friends on this airplane? How can I influence him or her? And how can I, by the time we get to the destination, we've got some forward agreement as a next step of what's going to happen as a result of this outcome of this, this meeting that we met on the airplane. And I tell you, man, it was amazing. When I'd be on the airplanes with some of these guys, some guys wouldn't give me the time of day, right? They're busy doing reports or they got to report to a board of directors or preparing for a high level meeting. And other times they're like, okay, I know who you are. My assistant keeps telling me about you. you're the guy who keeps calling every month or every couple of weeks or every couple months. Okay, what do you want? And I would oh. just find a way to build rapport with them because I used to study like Myers-Briggs and different personality styles. And I was an avid reader of professional development books because that's what I had to go for myself. Okay. And I also learned too that if you want to level up and, and dominate your space, just commit to reading 10 pages a day of a good book. Because, listen, I was labeled with a learning disability and a reading disability, so I always had that belief system that I was not smart enough to ever read books because I was diagnosed in school with a learning disability and reading disability. So I had to figure out as a strategy and a way to execute to get results. So I thought to myself, okay, if I don't have the attention span to read a lot of books, what can I do to win here? So I thought if I just read 10 pages a day, it's easy to do and it's also easy not to do. And that's mm. the difference. For most people, it's easy not to do, so they don't do it. So I got to level up. So if I read 10 pages a day times 365 days in the calendar year, that's 3,650 pages, which is equivalent to 12 to 15 books a year cover to cover. So I'd pick topics like sales, marketing, negotiations, business development. And I would study these different things from the public library on the internet. I would find out the best-selling books in those categories. 
And then we go to work by reading 10 pages a day every day to compound that over a period of time to then get the training and development to level myself up. Because success is not something we go out in the world to pursue. Success is something we track into our life by the person that we become. Yes. So when I walk into a meeting and I'm meeting with a person one-on-one or in a group or a large group, how do I become an attractive human being? Because when I walk in, I'm either attracting people to me or I'm repelling people away from me. Yep. When I leave that meeting or that conference or convention or that event, I'm either memorable or forgettable. So how do I work on myself from the inside out to develop these skill sets and these strategies and these systems to get the results, to make it win? Same thing when I first started. I used to pitch people all the time and get re- people repelled by me because I was so aggressive. I was pitching this guy years ago. I was pitching this guy in the medical industry. He said, Darren, I need to stop you. He said, I get your enthusiasm. I get you want to come in and train. I get your, your drive and your hustle. But he said, I want to give you some feedback. And, and I want you guys to write this down. He said, Darren, he said, prescription before diagnosis is called malpractice in the medical industry. He goes, most people that become entrepreneurs or salespeople or business people or running home-based business or in network marketing or they're signing up people for cryptocurrency, people that are doing that, most people go out and they're prescribing before they're diagnosing. He said, you want to learn to listen and ask questions. And through listening and ask questions like a medical doctor does, like a dentist does, like a massage therapist, when you come in, they give you an intake form. Yep. In the rooms, they ask you questions and you fill in the blanks. So you want to get a set of questions. And that's what changed the game for me with corporate training and training over a million people and becoming successful I am today because I got good at asking questions by listening 90% of the time and asking questions and only talking about 10% of the time. So you got very good at asking questions because the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask yourself and ask others. So I started asking a lot of questions. So I'd meet people on airplanes some days and they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm a professional speaker. Oh, you're one of those guys. And they just blow me off. And um, just like people today, they say, well, I'm a coach. Oh, yeah. Coaches are yeah. diamond. There's thousands of coaches around here. Yeah. How do you, are you uniquely than everybody else? So I'd say, so I'm just curious. What is it you do? What business are you in or job or career do you have? Oh, wow. And then what I would do is I'd look at, okay, imagine their business or business model or business opportunity or their company they work with. Imagine it's a boat out in the water. And my job is to punch as many holes in that boat as possible to make it see if I can make it sink or swim as part of my own due diligence. So what I would look at when I was talking to a decision maker or a CEO or an owner of a company is I get the upside to their business. But what's the downside? Where's the risks and potential liabilities and the exposure to that? So as a corporate trainer coming in, my job was to patch those holes up and to help them present or prevent mitigation of risk and liability to those things. So it could be a good employee that uh, is top sales employee. If you don't take care of him or her, they leave and other people will follow the organization. And now you have a high attrition rate. So I would look at strategies all the time to protect business owners and entrepreneurs when I go into corporate training. So I got good at learning how to become on an advisory board and boards of directors of public and private companies. So not going to go in, go in and do corporate training, but I'm very successful at advising and consulting and one-on-one coaching and then doing board of directors work and getting paid commission and equity on that. And so I've done that. And so, so and again, I'm all self-taught on all this stuff. But the whole thing was, how do I serve vast amounts of people from all walks of humanity and make a difference through strategy, execution, and results? And that's wow. why I because a lot of people I'd meet who are PhD and MBA, they would come in like, well, I sent that corporation a 33-page proposal and I never hear back from them. And I would go in in less than 10 minutes and get a, get a check or get a, an agreement or a contract from a decision maker. Like, how do you do that? Because it didn't make it about me. I thought, how do I help them solve a problem? Right? And I'm just here to be the problem solver with that company or organization or that person. And I've worked with many people now and they come to me and I said, okay, what's the biggest problem to what you got going on now? 
Okay. Like, I had a guy the other day, he phones up and goes, Darren, he says, we're just struggling financially. I said, listen, we don't have money problems in life. We have thinking problems. Yep. There's no lack of money in the world. And he says, well, Darren, I need to raise $5 million because uh, for my startup company that we've got, right? I said, let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one is, so if you look at that, I, I, said, we're, I said, are you eating right now in restaurants that actually people have money? He goes, no. I said, okay, do you go, where do you go hang out? He goes, I go to Starbucks. I said, so the people that are hanging out at that Starbucks, they have money. He goes, no. I said, when you travel to raise capital for your business, are you staying in hotels where people have got money? They can write you a check for $5 million. He goes, now I stay, I stay at cheap hotels. I said, I used to stay at cheap hotels too because the next morning there was free continental breakfast. <laughs> right? So the thing is, you got to think about it in your mindset. If you want to make more money this year, if you want to raise capital for your business, are you going to seminars and workshops and conferences and conventions where people can write you a check for that? Are you dealing with the decision makers and the check writers? Or are you dealing with the influencers? Are you going to charity events? Are you going to dinner parties? Are you going to network events where you're sitting with people for dinner or at a charity event that the people at your table that you've paid money to sit with, right? Um, can they write you a check? Okay, that's why like this deal we're doing right now, we're closing on a $1.8 billion deal because I phoned an ultra high net worth family who runs a family office over in Europe. And I spoke to the managing director of the family office who I know. And this family has combined assets of over a trillion dollars, wow. over a trillion dollars. They've been in the private wealth management and private banking business for many years, I think about 50 years over in Europe. And so their portfolio is over a trillion dollars of assets. So they've got money, but they're also looking to deploy money and invest that money, get that money working for things. So when I approach them on a 1.8 billion US dollar deal, I've got their interest because it's a group of private islands because they want to network with other people on these private islands that are high net worth and also high net worth people and celebrities and movie stars. Because guess what? These people are doing real estate developments. They're doing big brand recognition things. And they are looking for, so these people got the money and these people got the ideas and the business concepts to go out and move things. Yeah. Well, I'm just creating a strategy, then executing on it and getting the results. And so that's the thing. It's very nonlinear thinking, right? But the thing is, is that, so when you want to meet with certain people, think, hey, how can I call this person up, right? Like yourself, if somebody said to you, hey, I want to, I'll pay you $500 to meet with you up front. They're like, okay, you've got my attention because you're running a business. Yeah. Someone says, hey, I want to take you out and buy you a cup of coffee. You get those all the time, those requests. Yep. Darren, your life sounds like an absolute movie. I mean, it's it like, do you, ever, do you ever see that Will Smith movie? Pursuit of happiness? Yep. It, I mean, I was, you're telling me the story and I'm like, oh my God, he could literally have that be his, uh, his oh, yeah. thing. Well, I'll tell you, so when I was homeless, right, I invested in this startup company, made a little bit of money. My late teens, early 20s had money saved, and I was up working, knocking on doors, cold calling. And I had these two guys come up to me one day with a startup company, and they offered me residual income. And I, I was excited because it was new to me, residual income and passive income. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what due diligence was. So a couple of days later, I went to the bank with them, and uh, I became their co-signer. And I signed all, all these lines of credit, all these loans, and I used my car's collateral. And I signed all this paperwork at the bank for what they call a GSA, which is called a general security agreement in the banking industry. Okay. Basically it's collateralized, the collateralized my assets, what I had. And basically if these people defaulted on the loan or the bank called the demand loan, I would be the co-signer. So 120 business days later, the bank decided that we were unsecure with our credit lines and we couldn't pay back. So what it is, they called the loans, demand loan. Wow. Well, this happened back in the early 1990s when we had snail mail, you know, through the postal system and we had landline telephones and answer machines. 
So the collection calls were going to these landlines. I wasn't at that residence. So I wasn't getting the collection calls or hearing them on the answer machine. And I wasn't getting the mail. So I had no idea. One Saturday morning, I get a knock on my door. This bailiff shows up from the bank, who's hired from the bank, came with a tow truck to repossess my car that I paid for in cash, worked my butt off for many years to save the money to buy the car. And I was so proud of. They froze my bank account. My rent checks bounced. All my bills bounced that month. All went non-sufficient funds. And I was on the street 24 hours later, homeless, flat, broke financially, had access to no bank account. All my bills bounced. I phoned my family. and They're like, you know, go get out and get a real job. So I had to go to welfare. So I went, on the, I went to welfare. Now, here's the thing. You go get a welfare check, but I couldn't cash it at the bank because I was ah. under lawsuit by the bank. The, banks, the bank was suing me, okay? And they had clutchings at me and they had bailiffs after me because I was the co-signer. So I get this welfare check, but I can't cash it anywhere. So I had to go to Money Mart. And I don't know if you've ever been to a money mart or something. Listen, they have huge fees. So the welfare check isn't much money. And now they're taking these huge fees off my welfare check to pay me cash. So I got hardly anything left. But I have this ego and this pride and this arrogance about me. And I have this thing where I want to look good and I don't want to look bad. So I don't want to go to the soup kitchen or the food bank. So I end up living in an apple orchard. And the apples weren't ready yet because of the time of the season. So I thought I'm hungry. I got no money. I don't have a bank account. I don't have a job. I got no income, right? The welfare money I got is just paying for my necessities just to survive. So I start going up and down the back alleys looking at which garbage dumpers where I'm going to find my next meal. And I see this guy smoking a cigarette one day at a, behind a Greek restaurant, and he's having a cigarette, this, this cook or this dishwasher. I don't know what he's cook or dishwasher. And I go up and I start talking to him. He spoke good English. And um, I said to him, I said, you know, I explained my situation. And he didn't care. He's just on his break. But he showed me that with this garbage dumpster, that all the dumpsters are owned by the homeless people. And it's, it's like they're real estate. It's like, that's, that's my dumpster. And that's where I'm collecting my rent, which is my food and my bottles and my cans. So he showed me this dumpster. He said, listen, if you, if you go on this side of the dumpster, it's all the stuff off people's off plates, right? But what I'll do is we have a lot of food that goes to waste that nobody ever touches. We just throw it because it's extra food, right? For the buffet or people order extra food. I'll put it on this side of the dumpster for you, right? So again, strategy, wow. okay? So it's all strategy. So I created a joint venture, I guess you call it, or a relationship with this guy I built before. This guy gave me a break, which I was grateful for. He'd give me a break. And so he'd put food on that side of the dumpster that was untouched by people in the restaurant, and I would eat that food. And I did that for a while until I eventually – and I would go into the public library during the daytime, and I was in the library and think, okay, if, if I want to change my life because I'm flat broke right now, I'm being lawsuited. I've got clutches after me, creditors after me. So I, I go to the business section, the professional development section, read Ogmandino and Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends and Influence People and Think You're Rich and these different books to feed my mind so I wouldn't go crazy. And then when I got myself a little bit higher up, I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going under a lawsuit right now and I've got all these collections after me and creditors after me and all these people chasing for money because we co-sign all these loans and lines of credit. So one day I go to this lady to file personal bankruptcy because I had no money. I couldn't do it. So I go meet with this lady and I bring in the, the lawsuit collection letters and all that stuff that were, I eventually took responsibility. I thought, okay, I got all this mail. I better deal with it because I wasn't opening up the mail because I was, didn't want to deal with it. It was confronting for me. So I pick all this stuff up. I went to this lady with a bankruptcy office and I went in there and sat down with her and she goes through all the envelopes and opens up all the letters and calculates everything what I owe and personal bankruptcy. And it's going to affect my life for seven years. And I'm in my early twenties and, she goes, okay. She goes, so I can declare personal bankruptcy for you. She goes, how would you like 
to, to take care of that. I said, whatever, whatever you need to do, I just want to get this off my back, right? I just, I'm stressed out. I'm suicidal. I'm depressed. I've got anxiety. I can't sleep at night. I just I have so much fear and doubt and worry. I just want this nightmare to go away. She's okay. I can let it go away, but it's going to affect your life for seven years on your credit. But within seven years, you can grow up and become responsible and get your life back on track. She goes, so there's only one challenge. Uh, how would you like to pay my fees? It's $1,600 for me to file all the fees and my professional, my professional fee. I said, well, you know what? I, said, I don't have a bank account right now because I'm being sued by the bank. You know that. You've read the letters. So here's what I'll do. I, I can go out and pick apples or I can go out and cut grass. I can do odd jobs and get paid cash for the day. And then every Friday, I'll come in and I'll give you cash of $100 a week. I can make, I can make it manageable, work with my life, that I can get you at least 100 bucks a week. And we'll do it over the next 16 weeks. And I'll give you $1,600. She goes, I'm not a bank. I don't work that way. You have to have $1,600 right now. I said, well, I can't do it then. She goes, well, who can we phone? I said, listen, <laughs> all those phone calls have already been made. I, I can't make any more phone calls. I've already dialed for dollars. Nobody's going to lend me any more money. I'm too high risk right now. Nobody, no friends, no family, no neighbors, no people. Nobody is going to touch me. They're running away from me, right? When I walk down the street, they run the other way. They don't want anything to do with me right now. I'm too high risk. And she goes, well, I guess I, guess I can't help you. I said, well, what does that mean? Like, what do I do? She goes, well, you can't afford to go bankrupt. Huh. So people always ask me, have you ever been bankrupt? I said, I couldn't afford it. I, so I left that day and realized that nobody is coming to rescue me. So I went out, I got a bunch of different odd jobs, and I started guest speaking at a local college. I convinced them to help me go in and do public speaking training that I learned from Toastmasters and Dale Carnegie. And what it is, I made up enough money in cash I went back to the welfare office on my last welfare check that day because I didn't have a home. So I could go, you could actually go and pick up the welfare checks at the welfare office back yeah. then, right? So you go in person, show some ID, government ID, and they give you a welfare check in person. They had them out on a certain date, a certain time. You line up in a, in a queue and you line up. So that last day I went to get my welfare check. I went and cashed my welfare check at the Money Mart. I turned around, I come back, and I went and saw Roxanne. I remember the lady to this day, the welfare lady who worked with me. To this day, I'm grateful for her. And I went back and I said, can I see you? But I want to be in a private room. And I went and saw her and I said, listen, I don't want to be this way anymore. I'm in my early 20s. I'm a young man. I, I don't need to live on welfare. I just want a handout, not a handout. I said, how do I, how do I get? So I, I opened my pockets and I give her all this cash. I said, I figured out based on the statements over the last few months of what welfare has paid me, here's all the money plus 10% because I want to give you 10% interest on all the welfare money I give it because this is government money. This is taxpayers' money that I'm using. And I want to make sure the taxpayers of British Columbia, Canada are paid back with a good fair interest of 10%. So here's the money for all the money you bought from welfare plus 10 points to go back there. So I never have to say that I ever took advantage of the government. And that and she goes, she goes, we can't take the money. I said, well, I need to speak to your supervisor. She goes, Darren, we can't take the money back. We're not set up that way with our structure, our business model to actually take money back from welfare people. So I was the first person ever to try and ever pay welfare back back that time. I don't know lately because I've been back there for several years, but at that time, I was the first one to ever try and ever pay back welfare money. And they didn't take the money. So I left that day. I went to a Remax real estate office, went and saw a guy named Dan Irvine. I always remember Dan. And I went and saw this guy, real estate agent. And I said, Dan, I need you to find me a house. I got no credit rating. I can't give you 12 postdated checks because I, the bank's suing me right now. And the banks won't give me any checks. But I have enough cash right now to give me a deposit to get me a place to live. And so Dan took me in his vehicle, took me around. And, and that was a turning point in my life. And uh, so I've had a lot of adversities and failures and challenges and setbacks. And I have failed more. You know, I'm a multimillionaire today and I've done lots of things. 
But the thing is, I've, I've failed more times than I've succeeded. So when people say, hey, teach you about money, I can teach you because I know what it's like to collect a welfare check. I know it's also to make a million dollars. And I've done both. And I know it's like to lose money and make money. And I know it's like to be on your street and look for your next meal out of a garbage dumpster. I know it's like to go knock on a door to a big corporation where you put them on the pedestal and you put yourself in the pit and you minimize yourself. I know it's like to walk into a room of Rotarians and Chamber of Commerce and women business people, professional business people. When I walk in, I feel invisible because I feel stupid, not smart enough and good enough. Mm. I've been rejected over 100,000 times in business, over 100,000 times in the last 25 years. Wow. 100,000 no's. Hey, I just wanted to pause here for a second and tell you about something that I realize many of you have no idea about. So Guy and I have just released a brand new advanced training. So after hundreds of emails and questions constantly asking us, well, how do I have it all? How do I have it all? We've created the five pillars to having it all. So if any of the things we share with you here on the podcast have resonated with you, then I'd like to invite you personally to an all new training. Now you can register for the next live class by heading to www.satoriprime.com forward slash register. There you'll be able to register for the next live class. Or if you're one of these people that I need it now, you can always just watch the latest replay on that page as well. This, by the way, my friends, is a robust, in-depth training that will help you clearly see what's currently stopping you in any area of your life, be it your health, your relationships, your finances, or simply just maybe you want to manifest that big dream. It will help you with all of that. So again, go check it out by going to www.satoriprime.com forward slash register. And now back to the podcast. How do you go through like, you know, the, the thing with the room, speaking to an empty room and sleeping in closets and all that stuff. We're talking to people who are afraid to say their worth or afraid to share what they're great at and gifted at because they haven't made X amount of dollars or they don't have a life that looks like this person's life or whatever. And then they just sit in the, in the background because they feel like a fraud if they're going to go out and share that stuff. So I'm just curious, like in all that time where you're training people and meanwhile, you're sleeping in a closet, like how did you deal with, and how did you get yourself into a position where you were able to stand in front of that room and those people and not feel like an absolute fraud because I think there's a ton of listeners who sure. are really, really gifted at whatever they do, and they're just waiting for their life to turn out some way so that people, they believe people will actually take them seriously. Yeah. You were working your ass off and doing all that stuff while all that stuff was happening in the background. Like, how yeah. did that happen? You know, I felt like a fake and a fraud. And, and I felt bad because I, as I started to get more and more out there, and more and more exposure, I started to get more and more educated people in the room. And, and, and I had no formal education. I was training developing people in corporations and businesses. And I've done over a thousand speaking engagements where I was never, ever paid. You know, nonprofit groups, service clubs, rotaries, chamber of commerce, Toastmasters groups, all these different groups to build rapport and build relationships with people. And I did feel like a fake and a fraud a lot of times. I'll give an example. I was in, I joined a mastermind group early 2000s. And I was with these people and, and they were reading the book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I joined this mastermind group for support because I was getting hugged and slugged and kissed and kicked out there like all the time, man. And I had people writing negative reviews in the media about me because I had no formal education and 
it was, it was, it was I and stuff like that. And people were trying to take me down. And I was just wanting to love people and serve people and wanted to make a difference. I had positive intent to do good in the world, mm. not to harm anybody. And I remember one day I was in this mastermind group and I was earning between two and $250 a day doing speaking. Okay. And I'm in this mastermind group with these people. And I always felt that it's best that I'd be the dumbest person in the group because I'll grow the most. Because if you're the smartest person in the group, you're not going to level up and skill up. So I want to be the least educated person in the room. So when I stand on the shoulders of giants of other people who are doing much better than me. So I'm in this room one day in this mastermind group, we do an evaluation. So we look at each person and we look at their strengths and their weaknesses and who they are. And we just, we, 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 we got their back. We put belief in them. So they put me in what they call the hot seat that day. And they're giving me constructive feedback, the, the mastermind participants in this private intimate group. And they're telling me that I am not getting paid what I'm actually worth. And I, it was a very uncomfortable conversation with me being in this hot seat because I had a lot of negative beliefs about money and my self-worth. And what I, what I mean, because I had no formal education, I was told I was stupid all my life. I learned disability, read disability. So I, I had no value to myself other than I just wanted to prove myself in the world. Yeah and survive. I was in survival mode. And these people in the group said to me, you know, Darren, you need to start charging a lot more money for your speaking. And I'm like, uh, okay, what, what do I do? Like, how do I determine my speaker fee? And they, and the guy said to me one day, he says, you know, you're training some big companies now and you got to raise your standards of your rates. And I said, well, how much? And the guy goes, you have to charge a minimum of $5,000. Remember, I was making $250 a day staying at the Holiday Inn, the Ramada Hotels, the Days Inn, the Motel Sixes. That's where I was staying, right? Sleeping in, in these places. And so I said, wow, that's a lot. And I said, listen, I can't do that. And he goes, Darren, if I can be straight with you, he goes, I need you to reach down and grab your balls. <laughs> because everything is pain or pleasure. And you'll do whatever you can to avoid pain. Or so when you, whenever you're on the phone and you're talking to these decision makers or these, these executives and these people and you're talking to them on the phone about your speaker's fee, if you are getting uncomfortable, you need to start squeezing and you're going to get more uncomfortable squeezing than you are going to ask for what you're worth. Mm. And I agreed that day. So the universe tests you, right? So I, uh, I was approaching this oil and gas company here in Canada to do some corporate training with them. And I'd been with them before a few other times uh, at conferences where they, they were sponsoring the event and some of their people and, and decision were at the event. And I'd met the different people there and I'd worked with them and they really liked me and stuff. And so I get this phone call one day from this uh, executive with this big oil and gas company here in Canada, very well-known, I won't mention the name, but a very well-known name. And he calls me up and he's a real redneck type of guy, chain smoker, smoking, lives up, you know, lives up in a redneck area. And he calls me up and he says, and he real right, he goes, Darren, I want to bring you in for my annual retreat with my executives because you're going to make me a lot of money and I got a big bonus coming this year. Okay. So anyways, he says, talk to my executive assistant and put together a proposal and I'll put money in the, in the budget and I'll, play, and I'll pay you. So anyways, I said, no problem. She says, I got to go. So anyways, I talked to his assistant. She goes, well, I, I, don't, I don't make the decision. You need to call him back. So I called the guy back and he says, so how much are you going to charge you for a day of corporate training? And normally I charge 200, 250 bucks. Okay. And for some reason that day, I said, I think it was $10,000. I was so scared. I was squeezing, squeezing my balls. And I said, $10,000. And he says, done. I'm like, what? Done. He says, okay, I got to go. My system will send you a check for 50% deposit. Hangs up. Four months later, I'm in the Canadian Rockies. And they're doing a corporate retreat in, in near Banff National Park. Banff, in the Canadian Rockies. Beautiful place in the Canadian Rockies. 
And we go there and I do a phenomenal day of corporate training that day with the executive training. And these people are blown away because I'm very practical. I'm very results oriented. I'm very systemized and all that stuff. Doing this phenomenal day of training. So it's not a motivational speech. It's very practical training. And at the end of the day, they're going whitewater rafting in the Canadian Rockies. So what happens is the, this, this um, decision maker, this executive, he says, okay. He says, you and I are going to go for a walk. So we're walking down this river with the, with the Canadian Rockies where all this water is coming from the mountains. And we're walking down. He's got a cigarette hand on his mouth. And he says to me, he says, I got a question to ask you. And I said, what? And he's real, real, like a real aggressive type guy, right? You don't want to, you know, there's a guy you don't want to upset, right? He goes to me, he goes, I got a question to ask you. He goes, you know, you're a phenomenal trainer. You're going to go somewhere in your life, Darren Jacklin. He's you, you're amazing at what you do. You don't understand who you are as a person. And I just, you know, you amaze me at your skill set, your mindset, and what you do. And, you know, and I run this multi, multi big corporation. And, and he goes, I got a question to ask you. And he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he says, When I asked you a few months ago, how much for a day at corporate training, why did you tell me $10,000? And I thought, Oh my gosh, talk about being a fake or a fraud, right? So I think to myself, Oh my gosh, I'm now going to be found out. Okay. I don't have the PhD, I don't have the MBA, I don't have the credentials. I, you know, he, he wants a refund. Um, you know, I just spent the five grand he already gave me. Right. Um, and so I, how am I going to pay this money back? I'm terrified. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere with this guy. Right. There's, there's no exit plan for me. Right. If he wants to throw me in the river, I'm done. Right. Big guy, big burly guy. And I looked at him and I thought, Oh geez, what I'm, I'm done. Like game over. What am I going to do? And I looked at him. I said, you know what? I said, listen, I, I have to be up front with you. I don't know if you know what a mastermind group is. I don't know what that is. And, and I said, listen, I belong to this group of other like-minded people. And I told them that I needed some help. And they put me in this hostage. So I explained this situation to him. And he looks at me and goes, well, I got something I want to teach you. You're a lot younger than me. And he goes, when somebody asks you how much for a day of corporate training, you got to keep your goddamn mouth shut, he says to me. He goes, do not make the first concession when you're negotiating. He goes, you got to keep your mouth shut. And he goes, you should ask me, what was I willing to pay? He goes, you know, Derek, you have to understand something. He goes, sometimes people see more value in you than you've seen yourself. He goes, I, I had budgeted in my mind to pay you $25,000 for the day. And you asked for $10,000 and you left $15,000 in my budget on the table. He reached into his pocket, he goes, here's your check for five grand. I hope you learned a lesson. He puts his arm around me. Let's walk back to camp and enjoy the dinner. Wow. He was willing to pay me $15,000 more for that day of training than I saw myself. And you understand, if I wouldn't have been in that mastermind group, I would have only asked for $250. And he probably wouldn't have said, you're training my, I'm not going to dare risk putting you in front of my people, my executives for $250. You're a $250 person. No freaking way. Because he saw me at $25,000 level. And it was a stretch for me to grab my balls to ask for 10. To go for 250 bucks to $10,000 was way out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And he saw me at 25,000 and I saw myself at 250 bucks. Yep. Never asked for 250 bucks again, did you? Nope. Changed my <laughs> life. And then, and, then, and then I would get into, um, I would start going to companies and I was always flying economy class or coach. And I met, I met with one of my friends one day, Dr. John Martini, He's a good friend of mine and a mentor. And I'm having lunch with John Martini one day and John's working with me and, and he's probably the greatest influential human I've ever met in my life. And John said to me, he says, um, why don't you ask for business class or first class or fly in a private jet for a corporate jet? I said, you got to be kidding me. These companies don't have these cor corporate budgets. He goes, Darren, it's not their money. 
They're just stewarding money from a corporation, right? They, they have so much money per year, they got to deploy in the budgets. So he says, why don't you start asking for it? Why don't, he goes, why don't you start to believe more in yourself? So I start putting into my proposals for corporate training that I fly first class or business class or, you know, if they're, they have a big corporation, they have a corporate jet or private jet to fly there. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, we can put you in the corporate jet. We can put you in business class. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I, so you understand. So things that were a huge deal for me that I've gotten lots of negative self-talk and I'm stressless nights and I'm worried and, I'm, and I've got anxiety. So people are like, well, why wouldn't we put you in a, at a Fairmont hotel? you expect us to put you at the Holiday Inn? Like you're like what the return on investment you're giving to our shareholders and to our company, like we wouldn't even risk put you at the Holiday Inn. Wow. Like of course we put you in a five-star hotel. Of course we fly you first class, put you at the front of the plane, put you in the back of the car and have a personal driver pick you up at the airport. Of course we would do that. We, we wouldn't expect anything else. And here I am making all this story in my head that I'm not good enough and I can never ask for anything more. And I got to stay at the Holiday Inn the days in. And I got to have a cheap rental car or take the shuttle bus, you know, from the airport to the hotel and then, you know, take a cab from there to the corporate office where I'm training for the on-site training. And this is all made up in my own head. It was all made up story because I was never good enough and I had something to prove in my life. Meanwhile, people are seeing more value in me than I saw in myself. It's incredible. Darren, your story, I'm excited for when the book comes out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's unbelievable. Darren, I just, you know, I just sat here like in awe half the time. I don't know how the listeners are, but I'm just like, it, it's, it's the kind of life truly that you see in movies. I mean, I, it, I'm listening to these stories and I'm going, there's no way this is just one person. You know, it's interesting. And Tatiana, my partner, Tatiana Mercy, actually my partner, we've been together almost two years now in a relationship and she's my director of operations with Darren Jackson Companies. When she first started seeing it, it's like, yeah, right. What a bunch of kumbaya. Now her being with me, we were just at a wedding last weekend with a gentleman and I was mobbed at the wedding. And this gentleman, you know, when I met this guy 10 years ago, he was flat broke financially, living on his mom's couch, had no money, no direction, no focus. 10 years later today, because I've met him, he's a multimillionaire today. And he's, he just turned 32 years of age. And there was a number of other people in this room that are work with this guy's company that are extremely successful today, earning six figures, driving beautiful cars, living in great homes, married today, relationships, families, kids, doing good, supporting charities, you know, community programs. And I was, I didn't go to the wedding for that. I went to the wedding to honor this guy for his vows and his commitment to his wife, his beautiful bride. And I got mobbed at this wedding and I was just in tears to tell her in tears because all these people were coming to me saying, you've changed my life. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, because I was just out there living my life, doing what I was doing. And so the thing is, it's really interesting that the thing is never assume we're not being observed. Yeah. We, we never realize that we're out there and we're going through an adversity or a failure or a challenge and we don't quit. We don't give up. Yeah, we have setbacks and yeah, it feels like a roller coaster. And yeah, we're getting hugged and we're getting slugged. And we're getting kissed and we're getting kicked and we're getting supported and challenged. But at the same time, we're staying in the game. Even when we're upside down or we're not getting paid or the bills are behind, but people see that perseverance and it inspires other people saying, wow, if this person can persevere and go through what they go through. And that's why when people read my backstory, my backstory of what I've been to think, oh my gosh, what you've overcome in terms of adversities. And, but what it's done is mental toughness yep. and, and focus. And it's unbelievable when you go in and, and that's the thing is that when you look at, I used to always think that my mistakes were bad. I used to think when I used to fail, it was bad. The failure is bad. Failure is wrong. And I make a mistake and I script because I make mistakes all the time. I script all the yeah. time. Right. I, I, you know, to, to set up this interview, I didn't know how to set up this interview. 
Tatiana set up the interview for me. Yep. For me, I don't know how to do that, right? And it was stressful to do that. So I've, I've now learned how to build teams and to bring people on to work with me that are my strengths and what are my, and my delegate, my weaknesses. And that's the thing is I always wanted to do everything by myself because I had to be in control. Yep. I had to look good. I didn't want to look stupid and look bad. Yeah. Now I realize I just got to get out of the way of myself and allow other people to contribute, other people to show up and, and use their skill sets and their expertise. And we make a common goal together as a team, right? Teamwork makes a dream work. And we work together and serve humanity that way together. And that's the big difference for me is to get out of my way of myself and going from doing to directing. Right? It's like a band conductor in the, in the band or, or playing a symphony orchestra. I may not know how to play all the musical instruments, but I can make the music beautiful. Yeah, And I can conduct all the people to play the instruments. And that's what I do today is I conduct the, the symphony orchestra to make music happen and make a difference. Darren, you're a legend. I mean, just there's so many nuggets in this for, for people listening. Uh, the story is just so palpable. And I just hope for those that, that were listening and are listening um, that you can – I know some of these might be extreme and maybe you didn't have to sleep in a closet or live on welfare or – not be able to pay for bankruptcy, right? And those things might sound extreme to you. And I would offer that there are places in your life right now that you're still limiting yourself. That Absolutely. even though you might be not sleeping in a closet, you know, there's your version of that. And if if Darren left you with anything, I think it's just, it really reminded me of pursuit of happiness. That just that like it will just consistently get better. And that notion that no matter what, I just have to keep taking those steps forward and whatever that next inch is, that's what I have to focus on. And look, I mean, clearly life turned around. And here's the funny part, and I tell this to people all the time, I think on this journey for every human being, not just entrepreneurs, but for every human being, if someone told you as you were growing up and said, look, here's what your life's gonna look like, here's what you're gonna get, However, here's all the adversity and turmoil and failure and rejection and pain and whatever that you're going to have to go through to get to that. I would guarantee that most of us wouldn't even sign up for our own lives, let alone someone else's, if we knew what we had to go through. And yet, it's a function of who we are as human beings. Like this human being experience that we all signed up for. And Darren, I just... To, to have the mental aptitude to go through what you went through um, and, and to keep looking for how do I get to continuously serve? How do I get this thing that I know I have inside of me out? I mean, man, that is just, it's something else. Like you really are, I, I don't know what the pieces it took to get there, right? It's your journey and every one of us has our own. It's just your journey is beautiful. And I know that, you know, life doesn't just turn out. There's still adversity and there's still, right? We're always dealing with stuff. And I think it's it's very illogical for people to think like, once I make it to this and start earning this amount of money and live in this house and drive, it's all, no, your problems just get bigger. It's just your, your mental uh, capacity to deal with them and not see them as problems, but see them as opportunities really shifts kind of as you you go through that progression. Yeah, because, you know, I always, one of the things I thought in my life is, you know, how do I know when I'm leveling up? Mm. Right. How do, how do I know when I'm leveling up? And what I realized through a lot of my own journey in my life is how, you know, when you're leveling up is when you attract a new set of problems 
or challenges or circumstances into your life that you don't know how to solve. Yep. So you go to your spouse, partners, and other, you go to your inner circle of people, coworkers or colleagues, and you start having conversations with them and they don't know how to solve the problem either. So you got to step out of that inner circle and go to people you don't know, whether it's through social media, it could be on LinkedIn, it could be you hire a coach, you get a mentor, you're in a mastermind group, you go to some conference, some trade show, some workshop, some seminar, you read some book, you see something on television, on YouTube or TikTok, then all of a sudden, wow, I got it. I figured it out. And that's when you know when you level up. So every time that you go to a different level in your life, you attract in your life a different set of problems and challenges and circumstances that you've got to level up and scope to figure out. And then when you level up, so do the people around you and your environment level up. Like I, I'll give you an example. I'm flat broke one day and I ride my bike to this place called the Pantry Restaurant. And I meet a gentleman who is a multimillionaire. This guy had a grade three formal education. He lived off his money's interest, interest. Okay. I'm selling watermelon on the side of the road on welfare. I'm hustling, selling watermelon and cantaloupe. This farmer gave me a job for cash. And this is years ago. And this guy pulls up in a Lincoln town car and he buys a couple hundred dollars of watermelon from me. I think this is weird because most people don't spend more than a few dollars on watermelon and cantaloupe. This guy bought a few hundred dollars with it. And it's the first time I ever saw, saw at the time a Canadian $1,000 bill. He had five Chris $1,000 Canadian bills in his billfold. So he was carrying five grand cow or five grand cash on him. I think so that's a lot of freaking money. I'm on welfare, hustling watermelon cantaloupe. The next day he comes back, he buys a couple of dollars worth of watermelon. For three days straight, he came and he spent probably around $800 worth of watermelon and cantaloupe. Put him in the back of his Lincoln Town car. So on the third day, I'm really curious, thinking, okay, is this guy got a fruit stand down the road? Like, where's he going, right? <laughs> What's he doing? And so I ask him if we can meet up. So I ride my bike to this coffee shop. He meets with me. I bring my journal, okay? So I, I bring my journal. And, and, and so I have a journal with me and this guy is like, okay, he thought I was the farmer. He thought I was the melon man. And so he's like, why does this guy have a journal? Like, what is he going to do? He, Cause he was like fascinated. So I explained to him that I wanted to take notes from him and I explained my situation where I was. So he actually agreed to become my mentor. Okay. Wow. So we actually go to this restaurant one day and I'm sitting there and he says to me, he says, how much money do you have in your bank account? And I said, I don't have a bank account. Is what he mean? I said, well, I'm being lawsuited right now by the bank and I'm going through the whole court proceeding. It's going to take a while and I don't have a bank account. He says, well, where do you keep money? I said, I keep money in my pocket. And so he said to me, he says, do you know what an asset and a liability is? And I said, I have no clue. I didn't take accounting in school. I didn't, I, I'm not good with numbers and stuff. That's not my strength. He goes, he goes, do you, do you know where the public library is? I said, yeah, I have a library card because I was going there to, to, when I was homeless, I was going there to warm up and I was going there to, to stay in the library. And he goes, I want you to go to the library and I want you to get all the books you can from the librarian on what assets and liabilities are. And I thought, oh man, don't get me to read this stuff because I, I have a learning disability and a reading disability, right? I'm stupid at this kind of stuff, right? So then, okay. So I go to the library. I'm a little scared. I ask the librarian. She helps me. She gives me all these books on, on accounting, okay? And I come home and he arranged to meet me a couple days at this restaurant. He would pay for the meals at the restaurant. I meet with him. And so I, I sit down. So I thought, geez, I can't read these books. I don't, I can't comprehend this stuff. Right. It's way over my head. So what I did is I memorized because I'm a very visual learner. I memorized parts of the table of contents. Hmm. So I kind of knew generally what he was going to talk about. So a couple days later, I go see him in person and I bring the bag of books because he wanted me to see the books as evidence. And I go in to see him and he goes, well, my friend, he goes, did you, did you go to the library? I said, yes, I got the books here. He goes, good, put all the books on the table. So I put all the accounting books on the table. 
And he goes, what did you learn from reading these books? Because I don't think you read all these books in that short period of time, unless you're some fast speed reader. I said, I'm not. And he goes, so what did you learn? And I started, I started regurgitating stuff. That, and he goes, listen, let's stop. Let's cut the BS. He goes, you know nothing about assets and liabilities. He says, so don't lie to me. And I says, you're right. I, I didn't read it. I just memorized the table of contents. He goes, listen, I have a grade three formal education. I'm a multimillionaire today. I live off my money's interest, interest. I have over 4,000 people pay me every month their mortgage payment. That's my portfolio. So can you imagine this guy every month getting 4,000 mortgage payments, the, the cash flow he had? The interest, interest was $5 million a year. I have no idea what the principal was, what he was. But the money's interest, interest was $5 million a year he lived off of. So I, who knows what his financial fortune was? It was a lot of money. Very, very well, very, very affluent man. Ultra high net worth. And it was a divine point he came to my life. He looks at me and he goes, I'm going to teach you what assets and liabilities are. I said, okay. He goes, an asset puts money into your pocket. A liability takes money out of your pocket. I said, wow, that's interesting. He goes, take the fork off the table. So I pick up the fork where my placement is in the restaurant. He goes, a fork. He goes, an asset will feed you. A liability will eat you. Take the books back to the public library. Your lesson's over on learning about assets and liabilities. Wow. And to this day, 25 years later, I still remember what an asset and liability is. An asset puts money into your pocket. An asset will feed you. A liability takes money out of your pocket. A liability will eat you. And so whenever I go to buy things in my life, I always say, is this an asset or liability? Hmm. What I learned in my life to build financial success in a portfolio is that whenever I get paid, I buy assets because successful people buy assets and have the assets generate cash flow that pays for your lifestyle. Whereas most people were taught live paycheck to paycheck and whatever's left over after you pay all your bills. But if you do have money left over, you put it into an investment. You buy mutual funds, you buy an RRA, you buy an RRSP in Canada, you do that. And he taught me to pay yourself first and to put money into an investment and look to buy assets. He said, rich people, well, he says, I don't go to work for money. I said, what do you mean you don't go for more money? You're a multi, multi-millionaire. He goes, I don't go to work for money. He goes, the waitress that served us today in this restaurant, she goes to work for money because that's her mindset. And that's what she's been trained. I go to work to acquire assets and the assets produce cash flow that pay for my lifestyle and completely shifted my mindset. And I'm going, we used to drive around in his Lincoln town car. We'd drive around and, and he'd take me down. I remember one time I was driving around and we'd drive by this, uh, this um, um, it had a chain link fence around it. And it was just a field full of garbage and, and, and weeds. And uh, he said, he, he pulls over and he goes, well, young fella, he goes, what do you see? I said, what do you mean, what do you see? He goes, what do you see? I said, I see a chain link fence with a bunch of garbage, the 7-Elevens nearby, right? And I see a whole bunch of litter, and I see a whole bunch of weeds. Get out of the car. So he said, get out of the car. So what? So he said, get out of the car. So I get out of the car, and he, he takes me over there. He says, you got to change the way you think, young fella. You're, you're thinking lacking scarcity. And he's yelling at me, right? Just yelling at me. And he's waking me up. And he goes, listen, young fella. I said, well, okay, Harry, what do you see then? Now I'm getting really confrontational. I said, what do you see? What do I see? Good question to ask. What do I see? Now you're listening and paying attention. What do I see? I see a 36-unit complex. I see an insurance company on the bottom office. I see an insurance company. I see maybe a real estate office. I maybe see a nails and a hair salon down here. And just the the, the income off the commercial will pay for, I can leverage off that, and that will pay for another bill that I've got in Hawaii, and I've got 36 units here of rental apartments or condos with a property manager. I said, wow. Of course, you remember, this is all invisible. 
All I see is weeds and a chain link fence and a sale sign on that property. He was buying real estate. And you see, he saw the vision. He would see a high rise or he would see a building out of dirt. Whereas I drive by with my my focus saying, oh, look at this, this, this disgusting scene, this eyesore, right? What an eyesore. The city should do something about that. They should bring in new bylaws. They should have somebody clean up that litter and garbage and get rid of that chain link fence and do something. Meanwhile, he's seeing how he builds and acquires assets. And he would take me around and show me things that were invisible, which is nonlinear thinking. And that's why I'm so good with corporate training and training deal now, because he taught me to see the invisible before it was visible. He taught me to go from traditional linear thinking that we're taught in school, linear thinking to nonlinear thinking, to see things, to see opportunities before the opportunities were there. Massive. And he trained and developed my mindset to see that. Brilliant. Well, you at me too. Yeah. Amazing. I know we've already gone over time and I could just sit here and listen to these stories all day long. Um, I just want to thank you. I mean, this was just an truly an incredible life story. I mean, you, you must write a book. I think the title should be too poor to, too poor to, uh, go bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Darren, um, I don't know if, if you, you want to, I mean, obviously share your website with people or if there's any way that, that people can find out more about you. Yeah, you can go to darrenjacklin.com, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-A-C-K-L-I-N.com. You can also go on to Instagram, Facebook, Litter, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Litter, what is it? Twitter, LinkedIn. Twitter, LinkedIn, all the different social media websites. And uh, start following me. We're actually launching here the uh, Darren Jacklin Show now, where I got it twice a month. We're going to broadcast throughout social media, and I'm going to do the Darren Jacklin Show and show you, share a lot of stories with you of my journey but also then teach you the, the, the systems, the strategies, how to do the execution and get the results to the actions. And I'm going to show you how I built the Darren Jack group of companies and the different companies we've got now and the enterprise we're building and what we're doing to scale to hundred million or above and then give it all away. And so on the Darren Jack show, I train developers. It's no cost. It's, we just paid for it and pass it on. It's my way to give back and make a difference to society. And uh, you can tune in, you can share it with other people and, and you'll get a lot of value. I ask if you're going to tune into the Darren Jack show to go buy yourself a notebook or a journal Go to uh, order online through Amazon or go to a, a bookstore and get it or as you know, um, Staples or Office Depot because there's going to be a lot of note taking and I want you to document your journey with me because as you start to go and I start to mentor and train and develop you on the Darren Jackson Show, you're going to start to see the progress you make and you'll look back because I can create a story for you where, where down the road, 6, 12, 18, 24 months, you look back and your lifestyle will start to change because the way I train you on your philosophy and your mindset and you'll have some documentation to show people when they say, yeah, oh, yeah, you're just lucky how this works. Well, let me show you the evidence of what I've created yeah. the last two years by being mentored. So, And maybe right. someday we'll have you come on the show. Once we get that figured out how to bring on guests on the show, we'll have you come on the show and we'll have some fun and serve vast amounts of people and make a huge difference to society. Brilliant. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you from everyone here uh, and everyone listening. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You too. Have an amazing one, everyone. We'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. So one last reminder before we wrap up here today, if you haven't already grabbed the app that all of your fellow Satorians are going gaga over, then I would recommend to do it right now. Well, I guess if you're driving, maybe not just this second, but when you get a chance, go to your iTunes or Google Play Store, search for Satori Prime and download it today. You'll get access, like I said earlier, to an amazing and life-changing 10-part mini-series. And if you want to know the clear steps to create the have-it-all life for yourself, this app is an absolute must. 
like I said, and you can hear my voice. We are incredibly excited to share it with you and be with you inside of our community. So we'll see you there. So that's it, my friends. That's today's episode. I just want to thank you for being part of our Have It All family and truly, truly thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help or give back in any way possible, the best way would be to share this or any other episode that you loved with your family, friends, or colleagues. And if you'd be so great as to just leave us a rating and a comment on either iTunes or Stitcher, whichever you use, that helps us tremendously. It only takes about two to three minutes of your time and would mean the world to us. Finally, I want to let you know that if you want to get even more exclusive content from Guy and I, just head over to satoriprime.com and make sure you join our mailing list. Now, I know what you might be thinking, God, not another mailing list, but I promise you, you'll only get an email or two from us per week and it will always have amazing videos and articles that I'm sure you're going to love, promise. So until next time, you can join our ongoing conversation at the Have It All Facebook group where you can let us know how we're doing and what we can do to improve. Love you all, and we'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. Have an amazing, amazing day, my friends.